name. If you are just joining us, I know there were some first-timers. If you're just joining us, you are at the tail end of a series called New Beginnings. If you've been here for uh, any, any length of time, uh, you know that this church has carried the name Jubilee Tri-Valley since it started. And if you don't know where that name came from, because if, if you don't know the story behind that name, it's, it's a bit of an odd name. It's kind of a question mark, like, what does that mean? Or what, where'd you get that? Or whatever. And so if you don't know, this church was started as a satellite campus, almost like a, a spinoff campus of a larger church in San Jose that was called Jubilee Christian Center. And so uh, the, 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 the gentleman that started this church, he brought that name out here, but he didn't last uh, for the in duration because obviously I'm here. And so he was called to go back to that church because he was the pastor's son, and he was asked to come back to get ready to take over that church. And, and in the flux and mix sort of all that was going on, there was a, another pastor here named Pastor Randy. I don't know if any of you remember Pastor Randy. He was here for a short stint. And so anyway, but at some point in time, they looked at what was going on here. And they said, something needs to change here and we need to do something. And they were literally considering whether we shut it down or turn it over to somebody or do something different or send somebody else out there. And they, they didn't know what to do with it. And so at that point, God moved on my heart to kind of like, I should say something. And so anyway, I, I told Pastor Dick, I said, hey, what if, um, what if I went out there and, and took over that church? I was the youth pastor in San Jose for about six years. And um, when I said that, um, he ignored me. And uh, he did, he ignored me. Which if you know Pastor Dick, that's not a shock because he has a lot going on up there. And so, you know, like you say stuff and just, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, well, I'm just gonna mention it and, and, and if obviously God will speak to him. I'm not gonna force my way into any situation. And so sure enough, about a week or two later, we're having the same conversation about this place and what's going on. And I'm not sure why they're even talking to me about it anyway. I was the youth guy. And uh, but I thought, well, let me, just, let me just mention it again, Pastor. I don't know, maybe you didn't hear me. And I said, hey, Pastor, what, what do you think if, if I went out there and took over the church? And he looked around, and he had a little eyebrow raise, and, and like, yeah, that's a, that might be a great idea. Let, let, me, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. And he talked to his son, and sure enough, he comes back to me a few days later, and he said, hey, we think that's an incredible idea. Let's do that. And so anyway, so, so I was sent out here in 2008 to take over this church, and the original goal was to make it its own independent, self-sufficient church. That was the original goal that they had given me, and that was what I wanted as well. And so anyway, we began to make plans at that point in time to make it an independent church. So uh, about a year later in 2009, uh, we get all the paperwork done because you got to get stuff cleared and stuff established, and you got to have a 501c3, and you got to go through the Secretary of State, and you got to get your business license, blah, 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 all that stuff. And so sure enough, in 2009, we become our own independent church. And at the time, they actually mentioned to me, like, hey, are you going to change the name of the church? I said, no, I don't think so. I'm, I'm probably different enough as it is. They probably won't like me changing everything. I'm, I'm funky enough for them as it is. So, so anyway, uh, I didn't change the name of the church, but I knew at some point that I, I wanted to, and I knew some point God would lead us to, and I had no idea when or how. And so literally for the last few years, we've talked about it, but I've never felt God speak to me to give me a name or to give me the okay or to give me the go ahead. And so sure enough, just a few months ago, God spoke to me and said, hey, um, it's time. And he put this name on my heart and people had given me names for years and I thought they were all dumb. And, um, <laughs> Hey, I even, I even did this because as people were giving me weird, dumb names, um, I looked up worst church names. Worst church. If you, you should do this just for kicks and giggles. You should go Google worst church names. Some of them are so ridiculous that I can't say them without you judging me. Because like you're sitting there thinking like, what was that guy thinking? Or what was that group thinking when they named this church? But one of the ones I can't, it's called the glory hole. Um, 
That was one of them. Some of the other ones, I promise, they have innuendo in them. They're, they're, they're really like, really? Y'all named it this? So anyway, there's some bad church names out there. And so, so when, I, when I was given the name New Beginnings, I thought, I love it. Who can hate New Beginnings? Like, what's wrong with the New Beginnings? Like, like, it's like hating puppies, you know? How do you hate a new beginning in life? It's, it's grace, it's hope, it's life. It's the, it's the, it's the new, fresh start. And it became uh, really, uh, I think, drawn out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become what? New. And so what happens when you are in Christ? You get a new beginning. That God literally wipes away your past and gives you a fresh start and a clean slate and a new beginning on life. And I thought, this is what we believe. Because when I read the stories of Jesus, this is what I see him doing for other people. As a matter of fact, the only people I see him kind of rebuking and getting mad at is the people that make it hard for other people to experience a new beginning in life. And I thought, we don't want to be that. We want to be like Jesus. Because here's what I've discovered too, is most people in life don't have a problem with Jesus. They just don't like the church. So I thought, here's a radical notion. What if we became more like Jesus and less like the thing that people don't like, which is what Jesus was against anyway? So, so anyway, we've come to this point now. And so the, the way that we decided to introduce it was is to build a series that really showcased the vision of who we are as a church. And we started out just showing you how when Jesus encounters people, that he's literally trying to open up blind eyes and help people walk and give them a fresh start. And, and so he looks at one guy who's very successful and affluent, and he goes, you need to be born again. His way of saying is this, is you need to get out from underneath judgment, and you need to experience God's mercy. To another woman, he looked at her, who she'd been married five times and was shacked up with the sixth, and, and, and he said, you, you need some living water, because you keep jumping from, from dude to dude to dude. It, that ain't working. You, you need something that will satisfy your soul, and I'm him. I will give you living water. And we, we just see these instances over and over and over again where Jesus is creating new life for people. He looks at a guy like Peter who's a bit of a windshield wiper Christian. You know what I'm talking about? Up one minute, down the next, wipe out everything in the middle. You ever met people like that? Gung-ho for Jesus one minute, up in the club next month, lost their mind in between, try it all again and six months later. You're laughing because you know people. And, and and you know, Peter was a little bit like that. He was gung-ho at times and then running for the hills at others. And he was, all for, he was cutting off a dude's ear in the garden one minute and then cussing out a 13-year-old the next. You thought you were jacked up. So anyway, and, 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 and Jesus redeems his life and says, no longer will I call you Simon, but I will call you Peter. No longer will I call you, Simon means like a reed, like a reed shaken in the wind. He goes, I will call you Peter, which means like a stone or a rock. He goes, I'm going to give you a new name and a new identity because this is, and this is, if you weren't here last week, this is what you need to know. This is where all healthy people live. Like full, healthy people, they live from the standpoint of I know who God has said I am and because I know who I am, this is how I live. Unhealthy people, they do the opposite. They think because they did this, this, and this, that's who they are. And then they live out of that for the rest of their lives. They live out of their own brokenness because they've identified with that and that's what they think they are. Therefore, that's what their future will be. But God said, no, no, no. I'm giving you a new name and a new identity. And so in all that, we, we led up to the point where we just kind of showcase, hey, we feel like God has led this church to change our name. And not so that we can try to become something that we are not, but rather have a name that embodies who we already are. And so that is where we got the series and therefore the name, New beginnings. 
Today, I want to kind of wrap this uh, message series up and, and, and share with you how not only does God give you a new identity, a new position in life, a, a, just a new beginning and a fresh start, but God actually gives you a new purpose in life. Everybody say that when you say a new purpose. Like your pur- when you are in Christ, your purpose has changed. Because I don't know about you, most people that I know of that are away from God, they're always trying to figure out what their purpose is. And many times they find it in their work and they might find it in their family or being a dad or being a wife or being a whatever. And they, they're always looking. And most people figure that that's just, well, that's just what I do, I guess. And we're, we're wanting to know on the inside, was I made for something bigger? greater, more significant. This is why people go through midlife crisis many times because they, they look at the, the first half of their life and they say, what have I really done? Or what has li- what is the meaning of life really been all about? What have I been doing? And they, they crash into a, a proverbial wall and just, because they want to know, it, do I really have a meaning and a purpose that's greater than this? I want to encourage you this morning that in Christ you have a new purpose. If you have your Bible, go to uh, Mark chapter one and Jesus starts with a a handful of guys, and from the beginning, their first interaction with them, he lets them know, not only are you going to get a new life with me, you're going to get a new purpose. Here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Remember, we just changed his name, but that was later. Everybody said, that's Peter. So anyway, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake. I love that. That's next. For they were fishermen. If you didn't pick up on that, Mark just wants you to be clear, they were fishermen. So Jesus says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and began to follow him. Then he goes down the seashore just a little bit longer, and and he sees James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John preparing their nets, for they were fishermen. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and began to follow Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, have you ever read this and just, or heard this story and been like, really? Like, you're just going to like, you know, pseudo-spiritual man in a robe and Birkenstocks rolls up and says, follow me. And there's just a glaze over their eyes and they're like, we will go with you. Because that kind of, a little bit, you ever wonder why that happened like that? Like, would you really, like if I just rolled up, up into Trader Joe's and said, Linda, I need you to follow me now. You'd be like, look, I get off in three hours, so maybe we can talk after that. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't just start walking after me and following me. So it, it begs the question, why would these guys do this? Have you ever wondered why in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' very first real public sermon, why thousands of people walk out to the countryside to listen to him? You're like, we always think, well, he's just a carpenter. Why did thousands of people, why, did he do the glaze thing again? Is it like an Obi-Wan Kenobi trick where you're like, you will let us go now? What is that? Let me explain to you because there's two big things going on in this story. One of them is, is very, very historically rooted. And the other one will deal with what we talk about when it comes to God giving us a bigger, broader purpose. So the historical element is this, is that Jesus was not just merely a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter, and so as a child, he grew up around carpentry, and I'm sure his dad taught him a lot of things, although we don't even know when his dad died and passed away. We know that by the time that Jesus was 30, that his dad had passed away. But what we do know about Jesus, when you look at his timeline, is that Jesus emerges at the perfect time in which he would have fully fulfilled all the training of what a rabbi would have had to experience as a Jewish man living in the second temple period in first century Jerusalem. Now, we don't operate typically with rabbis. We think about them being in, in, in Jewish circles and Jewish sects. But you've got to remember, Jesus was a Jew. 
He was a Hebrew. He spoke Hebrew, and he grew up underneath a system where becoming a rabbi was the highest honor that you could attain as a Jewish man. Are you following with me so far? These people were the rock stars of their community. I know we don't think of it like that, but you have to remember this is a different time, era, and culture. And for them, a great rabbi was the most awesome thing that you could ever become. And so they would literally go to school, and everybody knew that 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 was the thing that you attained to. And so when they went to school, it was to train in Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They memorized it. They studied it. They ran over and over and over again. And after that, they would graduate if they were smart enough and sharp enough They would graduate and go to the next level of school. It's called the Bet Midrash, and it was where they would go to even further study. As a matter of fact, when you see Jesus in the book of Luke, the Bible gives one insert of Jesus as a 12-year-old at the temple. Some of you may remember this story. It's the only thing about his childhood that's ever mentioned. We go literally from Christmas time to Jesus being baptized, except for this one story. And the Bible says that when he's 12, he's hanging out with the, in the temple with the Pharisees and the scribes. And the Bible says that they are amazed at the questions that he was asking, because that was their form of schooling. Like to see and to judge a, a student's level of intellect and level of understanding of scripture is they would see how long can you keep the conversation going? How many questions can you ask that will build another question, that will create another question, that will dig you so deep into the rabbit hole of God's greatness that it would just keep an incredible conversation going? And so the Bible says that they were amazed at the questions that he asked because he would be a student at the Bet Midrash interacting with the local teachers, scribes, and then the rabbis. And then even before him, there were two great rabbis. One was named Halil, the other one was named Shammai. And these were like the two mega rabbis of their day. They both had schools with thousands of students in them. And you were either known kind of being as in the school of Halil or the school of Shammai. And they both had their own little spin on Judaism and the way that you should live live for God. But once these gentlemen pass away, there are no great rabbis. What you would call a rabbi with authority You ever remember the scriptures that come out and it says, and Jesus taught them as one having authority? This is where that phrase comes from. To them, they understood it as being a rabbi of the greatest level of achievement. So the reason why people followed him out to the countryside is they were sitting there saying, well, not since the days of Halil and Shammai has there been a rabbi with authority. We want to know what he has to say. And so they literally, by the droves, wanted to go and find out what this new rabbi that had authority had to say about the scriptures and about who God was. That's why when he walks up to Peter and James and John and Andrew on the seashore, the fact that they were on the seashore tells you they had already been let go of school Because once you had reached what they thought your ceiling was, they would send you home to learn your father's trade. What was Peter and James and John and Andrew's father's trade? Fishing. They'd already been sent home. They'd already been released from their, their, they they had basically been kind of kicked out of rabbi school. They were done. You need to go learn your father's trade. And so this rabbi with authority walks up to them. Say, hey, I want you to follow me. See, the idea of discipleship is not a Christian idea. Let me me help you. This goes back way, way further. Remember Halil and Shammai, they were great rabbis. You know what they all had? Disciples. They would follow. This is where there's there's an old, and I did this a couple years ago, where there's there's a, a comment about walking in the dust of your rabbi and being covered with his dust. It meant like as a disciple, you wanted to walk so closely to your teacher that that just his dirt was all up on you. And that was a great honor because it was almost like follow the leader where like if you were at the head of the line, you were like teacher's pet. And you thought, look look at me. 
I'm dirtier than you because you was in the back, sucker. So anyway, this was the idea. And so like, it wasn't that Jesus did the Jedi trick. It was that in their culture, Jesus was a great rabbi who had achieved authority as a rabbi to teach his own yoke of doctrine. It's probably more than I want to explain. But anyway, that's why people went out in droves to listen to him. And that's why Peter and James were like, we're going with Jesus. This is the greatest honor, the coolest thing, the most amazing thing. The rabbi just asked us to follow him. How cool is this? And the rabbi says to him, he says, come and follow me and I will make you. Everybody say, make you. Your parents ever tell you that? Like, I'm gonna make you. You ever had like a punk older brother or sister? But I'm gonna make you. Um, Jesus wants to make you, but in a good way. Jesus said to these men, young men, they were all probably teenagers, I'm going to make you. And what he said he would make them is different than normally what we think when we come to church. Because we think, well, they want to make me better. Can I get an amen? You ever come to church? But yeah, they're going to make me better. They're going to make me holier. They're going to make me nicer. You know, they're going to make me kinder. They're going to make me give more. They're going to make me do all these ideas of what we want to make you. Let me help you out here. You know what Jesus wanted to make you? A fisher of men. These guys were fishermen. They knew what it was like to go fishing and do their whole lives trying to catch fish. He goes, the whole purpose of your life moving forward has changed. You know what your job now is? Catch people. In our vernacular, the way we would put it is this, is I want to make you really, really good at helping other people connect to God. That's what it means to be a fisher of men. And so from the get-go, he takes them what they had done their entire lives and what their fathers had done to train them their entire life and says, I'm gonna make you something completely, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Now, some of you are getting squeamish in here. You're like, oh, crap, this is where he's gonna tell us to go and share our faith and witness to people. And Let me help you out here quickly. Like, here's what you need to know about what Jesus is trying to make them. He's trying to make them what the Bible says is the word evangelist, but we hear that and we think, oh, dear God, I'm going to be that guy on TV that's trying to sell holy water or something for a hundred bucks, or I'm going to be that obnoxious Christian downtown with the billboard that yells at people. I'm going to be the weird guy with the tracks of paper that keeps, you know, I'm going to be the, 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 the obnoxious coworker that keeps bugging me. And bug- let, let me help you out. We're going to unleash and take all the bad stereotypes off for a minute. Here's what I want you to realize what your job has now become. Your job has now become just to be a carrier of the goodness of God. That's it. That's it. Like the word gospel means like great news. And an evangelist was the carrier of the great news. Like that's why like they were called heralds or evangelists. That would like, for instance, when Caesar would win a great war, how many know they didn't have CNN and Fox News 24-7 cycling through the news? So how did the news spread? They would send out heralds or evangelists to share the good news. That Caesar had won or this had happened or that the, the new child had been born, the prince had been born. They would send out evangelists to carry glad tidings. That's just weird ways. Uh, Today in our way, we would say, hey, look, all I want you to do is be a carrier of the goodness of God. If God's been good to you, just carry that with you. Carry it on your face. Carry it on your attitude. Carry it on your kindness. Carry it with you wherever you go because what God wants to make you is a fisher of men. Let me, me, this is what I thought about. I thought, I have some experience fishing. Now, I'm no expert. Why are you laughing down there? I feel like you're calling me out right now. Okay, 
Like I grew up, if, you, if you've ever heard me talk about my childhood, I, my grandparents were um, farmers and ranchers. And, and so we had ponds everywhere. So I grew up as a kid fishing and we would catch, catch fish and brim and bass and just real basic stuff. And then I come out here to California and some people invite me to go out on the ocean and deep sea fishing and that kind of thing. And so um, the last time I went out, I got so sick, y'all. It was, it was terrible. And I think, has anybody ever gotten sick on a boat, sick fishing? It makes you never want to go back. I was so sick, I literally had turned like a nice shade of gray and green and was hurling over the side of the boat. And it was one of those things where you almost wish, you're like, Lord, you can take me now. <laughs> you ever been so sick where you're like, Lord, just take me. I'm okay. I can go. I'm at peace with you, Lord. That, that's how I felt. I felt like, Lord, I, I want to leave the earth now. And I never want to go fishing again. And some of us, that's our experience. Either through what we perceive, we think, I never, ever, ever want to fish because I don't want to be like those people. Or we've had a bad experience trying to help somebody connect to God. And we think, I never, ever want to do that again. I want to help you understand because the problem that you and I have is we don't think like fishermen think. And I just want to walk you through an idea of how I think like the life of a fisher will help you. I know Eric's here and Bob's here. These are people you should talk to about real fishing. So if I, hey, Eric, if I say a bunch of stupid stuff, just, just smile and act like. I'm, I'm gonna help you understand as I know the life, the life of a fisherman. Number one is this, is that fishermen love the thrill of the catch. Have you ever wondered why these guys go out and will sit in a boat for hours? It's for that one moment. There's something about having the fish on the end of that line that shoots a jolt of adrenaline through your body and you just get excited. I remember one time I was out deep sea fishing and I was so convinced that I had caught something because all of a sudden, but see, the, the waves are moving a lot. See, I'm not used to this. I was used to like being on a still pond, but I'm on, the, I'm on the ocean and the waves are rocking and so all of a sudden this thing starts pulling and jerking and I'm like, I have got something incredible on the end of this line and then the guy comes over and he's like, dude, you're hooked on a rock and... But because the boat kept moving, I thought every time the boat moved, you know, the, the, the. anyway. Um, please stop making fun of me. They love the thrill of the catch. If you want to laugh at something, go, 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 go YouTube search, Bassmaster Classic. You'll have these guys out there fishing and you will think like they just won the lottery. When they get, they're like, woo, yeah. And they go bananas over catching a fish. Where do you think that? Because they love the thrill of the catch. Here's why I tell you that. If you have ever got to be a part of somebody's divine moment, it's the most satisfying thing in the world. If you have ever been a part of the equation where you helped somebody meet Jesus and experience an amazing life change, if you were a part of that equation, oh my gosh. So some of you don't know what I'm talking about because you've never actually had a fish on the end of your line. You just had a rock. And some of you have never actually helped somebody meet Jesus. And so that's why there's a little bit of a disconnect. I want to get you out the gate real quick here. This is why we just got to get you in the boat and get you trying. Because as soon as you feel life on the end of that line, and as soon as you are a part of the equation of seeing somebody experience life change through Jesus, it will change your life. It will make you a little bit of an addict. Thinking, man, I want to do that again. I want to do that again. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a passion for the thrill of the catch. Number two is this. It's fishermen are incredibly optimistic. This is what I would call the, the Raider Nation syndrome here. Um, they, they're, fishermen, if you ever, I can't help it, y'all. It's just, it's just like lobbing softballs and just, anyway. Um, please don't leave if you're a Raider fan. Grant, we made these shirts black. 
because we love Raider people too. Okay. So, so anyway, if you ever go out with a fisherman, like they, they have these statements they live by, like we'll get them tomorrow. You know what? I bet if we go right over here, they'll be over here now. You know what? Just a little bit longer. They're not biting right now, but just give a little bit of time. They're incredibly optimistic people. Have you ever noticed that? Like, because they don't want to go home is, I think, the answer. They love the thrill of the catch. And so they just, they just this is right over here. Just a little bit longer. If we just, yes, it'd be a little more quieter. It's just, there's always something that is optimistic about them. And that's why I said it's a little bit like the Raider Nations. Because if you ever, I was at the dentist office, which is not a place of optimism. And, and I'm at the dentist office. And sure enough, there's only me and this other dude. And um, my, my son, right before he went back to go get a cavity filled, uh, he asked me a football question. So this guy overhears and says, hey, well, what do you think about this? And dude, I've never, this is so true of Raider fans. They will keep talking about the Raiders, but they are so optimistic. They have never, Troy, have you ever said a mean word about the Raiders in your life? It's not in your heart. I don't know how they breathe that in you. If all of Christians could have just that sample of Raider Nation optimism, of like hope, hope, like Awful drafts, terrible owner, don't even, you know, just all the terrible things in the world that could happen to a team. You're like, but you know what? Next year, I really believe, like every preseason, it, it, the, the most hope-filled time in all of Oakland. Why? Because you're zero and zero. You, you, every year, the Raiders get a new beginning. I'm just kidding. Just win, baby. Um, but fish, listen to me, this is, this is why I tell you this, like as, as, a, as a fisher of men, as a fisher of people, you just have that optimistic thing about you, like you, you just got to be able to say, hey, it's okay, I'm just, off, I'm just trying to get it out there, it's all good, if they say no, it's all good, because like, you know, again, a lot of times you go fishing, you don't catch anything, but it's all good, we were out there trying, we were out there fishing, every year the Raiders are like, we're trying, we're just, it, it, we're just trying, you know what I'm saying, so like, just go for it, what do you got to lose? Number three is this, um, great fishermen, Go where the fish are. If you ever talk to a great fisherman, they always have their spots. As a matter of fact, I remember talking to two guys in our church when he, and he was like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's going over to my spot now. Like his territory, there's water. That's not your lake. It's water. It's, just, it's, a free, it's a free lake, okay? But like they have spots. They have these places that they know are ripe, prime spots for fishing. And I want to encourage you, like this is the trap that I see many people that have been following Jesus for a long period of time is this, is, is they don't have a lot of unsaved, unchristian, unbelieving friends, whatever you want to call it. They just don't have a lot anymore. And it's because as a believer, you slowly moved away from maybe old habits and old lifestyles, but in doing so, you disconnected yourself from some of those people. And now the only people you know are other believers. The only people you hang out with are other believers. I'm going to help you out real quick here. Um, we're not trying to save people from other churches. <laughs> now, if they need to get free, come on, we we'll welcome you. But like, that's not the goal, right? We're not trying to go, uh, you know, fishing in, in, in a trout farm. You know, we're not trying to, trying to go fishing in your aquarium at home. That's not, we're, we're not trying to catch stuff that's already been caught. So therefore, you need to go where the fish are. And, and here's, here's what I mean by like that. And this is the most practical way that I can tell you. Whatever it is that you like to do in life, Go do with people who don't know God. Like the things that you do for enjoyment, the things you do for fun, the thing that you would do that would say a hobby. Quit doing it with only your, your, your buddies that have known Jesus since Moses was here and go hang out with some people who do not know God. Because if you never go where they are, you will never help them connect with God. Can I get 
And amen. Now that has limitations on it though. Like, let's not get crazy up in here. Hey, I had this one guy, he was the sweetest guy in the world. He used to sit over here on the third row. He actually passed away, unfortunately. And so wonderful, wonderful, sweet man. He lived his whole life a bit fast and wild and loose, but he got saved and, and God really, really did touch his heart. And he was the sweetest man. And he came to me and goes, hey man, I've, I've been going to, to Rito with my buddies for years. And every time we go down there, we do things I know I shouldn't do anymore. <laughs> and he's like, they like to go to the girly clubs. And, uh, and is that okay? And I'm like, no, that ain't okay. But like, but they need Jesus too. I'm like, tell them after work. That has limitations, people. Don't get, don't get buck wild on me, okay? But you need to go where the fish are. Number four is this, is that great fishermen have the right bait. I need you to know this, like, if you're not a fisher, like, there's like 20 different kinds of bait. There's like all kinds of weird bait. Like, there's flies, spinners, plugs, spoons, jigs, plastic worms, live bait. Eric, would you like to continue? I mean, like, there's all kinds of different things. And here's what you need to know, is that if you have the right bait in the wrong place, it don't work. And if you've got the right place but the wrong bait, it don't work. You've got to actually get into the right place with the right bait, and then it happens. Does that make sense? This is why I always tell people, whenever you are trying to help somebody connect to God, you're looking for the divine moments, because you got to have the right time and the right bait coming together at the same time. And let me help you out here. The, the, the right bait, sometimes Christians fall into the category of wanting to be right too often. Let me help you real quick. It's, it's, it's better to be kind than to be right. Like you're helping them to connect to God is not them beating you or beating them in a debate and argument. Okay, let me say that again because you got quiet up in here. You helping them connect to God is not you beating them in a debate or an argument. I have never, ever won anyone to Jesus by beating them in an argument. I just made them mad. Because nobody likes to be wrong. Do they? You ever wake up and be like, I want to be wrong today. I just feel it. I'm going to go do something and just somebody's going to prove me wrong. We don't ever do that. So we don't go out and prove the world wrong and therefore win them. Because we're right and therefore we're better than you. No, nobody likes that posture and that stance. You know what the Bible says draws people to God? It says that the goodness of God leads people to repentance. Now, the truth will set you free, but it's the goodness of God that leads you first. Are you hearing me? And so some of us go out with our, with our, our debate and our argument and our facts and our truths, and we know we're right, and we're going to tell you, and you, let me help you out while you're wrong and jacked up, and yet Jesus is going to fix you. And we go out with all of our arsenal of stuff, and we, what I'm here to tell you is this, is that the, the, the best kind of bait is kindness, generosity, servanthood, the goodness of God, showing people how good God has been to you so that when they see something and they're curious and they're like, why are you so different? Why do you seem to have joy? And why do you seem to, even when all hell is breaking loose, you seem to have a grip on life and you realize, I, I don't have a grip on life. I've got a grip on God and God's got life. That, it, it just, that's just the way it goes. And so I don't have everything worked out. I'm not perfect, but God is. And it's because I know him. And so we, we, we move and operate with the right kind of bait. Number five is this, is great thinkerman, um, a great thinkerman. Got a little ahead of myself on that one. Great fishermen think like a fish. They ever, you ever do this? Like, like they do have like a, a fish sense, a sixth sense. You'll be in the boat with them, but mm, hold on. And they'll do a thing where they kind of feel the air. And they look at the breeze. 
And they like look at the temperature and they start looking at the depth gauges and start looking like, we need to go right over there. You ever been with them? Like, where do they? Because they think like fish think. And then they'll tell you, about, okay, I need you to set your anchor about right here because we're only going to go down about this far. That's where they're at. How do you know where they're at? You don't know nothing. Like, no, no, just trust me. And you're like, and then you start catching fish and you wonder why. Because they think like fishermen. It's, it's weird. Let me, let me help you out here. This is what Paul said when he, he said the same thing about people. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, he goes, though I'm free, I don't belong to any man. I make myself a slave to everyone so that I can win as many as possible. So to the Jews, I, I just become like a Jew so I can win Jews. And to those people under the law, I just become like those under the law so as to win those under the law. And those not having the law, the, you know, the crazy ones, I become like, like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become, listen to this, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may what? I'm just trying to share in the blessing and goodness that I've already received. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not trying to be somebody. I'm trying to connect to them. Does that make sense? Some of the things that that, that we fail to remember is this. Sometimes we will approach a person and we start in with our truths and ideas and arguments and this and this and this and then. Do you remember what it was like when you were away from God? Can you go back? Now, maybe some of you were maybe raised in church your whole life and just always believed. That, and that, that's great. I'm, I'm so for that. But for those of you who did it and maybe came to Jesus as a, at a later age in life or as a 20-something, a 30-something, a 40-something, here's what we sometimes forget. We forget what it was like to be away from God. And I remember, see, this is what I have to do. I have to consciously go back in my mind and say, what was I like as a teenager when I didn't know God? Because I remember I had a couple of obnoxious Christian friends that tried to tell me about Jesus. And how did I respond to them? I was mean. (laughs) I kind of made fun of them, I think. I was not nice to them. Let's just say that. But think about where I was at in life. And so when you go from that perspective, you realize, hey, it's all good. Like, it's, I, I'm just trying to share in the blessings that God has given me. I'm just trying to share in the goodness that, that God has given me. I'm not trying to force anything on you. You can't force life change. You let Jesus do that, don't you? Here's the reality. You throw the bait in the water. You do the fishing. You let God, God do the catching. And you certainly let God do the cleaning. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You, you, you have to think like a fish. Like, go back and remember in your... Don't get so far away from who you were before God that you forget what it was like. Because then you'll begin to kind of lose touch of saying, how can I love them? How can I just connect with them? What would I have wanted back then? Rather than the obnoxious Christian guy, what would, what would have been the best thing for me? And more than likely, you know what you'll find? This is what you'll find. I just wish I had a guy who befriended me and loved me and was there for me. More times than not, that will be the best bait that you can possibly use. And then, when the moment is right and the divine opportunity presents itself, then, then heaven and earth collide. But you have to think like a fish. Number six is this, is, is that fishermen are persistent but timely. Persistent but timely. Let me help you out real quick here. I'm going to move quickly through these last two. Is that I need you to know like you're in this for the long haul. 
Like we don't just quit after one try or get discouraged after one comment or one invite or any of that stuff. I know people who have prayed for their loved ones, for their spouse or their children for decades. You're in this for the long haul. This is why fishermen will sit for hours. And if you're not a fisherman, you're like, this is dumb. We need to go home. There's a football game on TV we could be watching right now. Because it just, but like fishermen, they're, they're persistent but timely. Like they're, they're okay with that. And so they hang in there. I want you to know like hang in there. You're just trying to love people. You're just trying to bless people. You're just trying to show people the goodness of God. It's so, you're just trying to pray for people. It's all good. You stay in there and you hang in there and you keep praying. You keep believing. And lastly, number seven is this, is they believe that they were made for it. A true fisherman thing, this is, this, is, this is my calling. This is who I am. This is what I was made to do. They find serenity in it. Serenity now. They're made for it. I want you to know this. Jesus said he was gonna make you. You follow him, he's gonna make you. You know what he wants to make you? Yeah, I mean, you'll probably get gooder as you follow him and you'll probably get holier as you follow him. But that's not what he said he was gonna make you. I think those are just the byproducts of being close to Jesus. What he wanted to make you was make you really, really good at connecting people to his heavenly father. That's what God wants to make you. He wants you to know that you were made for this. It's not enough for you to have the goodness of God and keep it all to yourself. It's not enough for you to experience God's greatness and then just kind of make it a secret. Because many times, this is what we think. Many times we fall into the trap of saying, well, the gospel is all about Jesus and me. No, it's not. It's not about Jesus and you. It's about Jesus and the world. You ever read John 3.16? I've, I've heard preachers do this where they'll quote John 3.16 and say, now personalize it. For God so loved me that he died for me. That I might, I'm like, no, 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 that's not what he said. We're leading people towards this me-centered gospel. You know what the gospel was about? It was about Jesus redeeming the world. Like there's a whole world that needs our heavenly father. There's a whole world that needs forgiveness. There's a whole world that needs healing for their life. There's a whole world that needs the salvation that comes through the cross of Christ. The whole world needs that. It's not just about me sneaking into heaven because I had this little private belief. There's something greater going on here and we were made for this. I wanna encourage you as we kind of shut down this series called New Beginnings that not only do we receive a new position of mercy and a new name and a new identity and a new life in Christ and a new slate, I'm telling you, it is not enough just for us to receive that, but it must be something that we want to share with the whole world around us. When we come to church every Sunday, we worship God. Don't we always sing songs to God? And you know what worship is? Worship is kind of, a, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like bragging to God about God. Like, God, I'm going to sing of your mercy and your goodness. And we sing to God. We brag about God to God. You know what sharing your faith is? It's bragging to the world about God. And that's what he wants you to do. Yeah, he wants you to have a personal relationship with him, but he also wants you to take it to the world. And in whatever ways and whatever avenues and whatever relationships that he gives you and whatever, I'm telling you, he opens up doors. All of a sudden, new people come into your life and you're like, why would God or why would they or how did, how did I get to meet them? I'll give you a shocker. It's probably because God put them in your life so that you could show them the love and goodness of God. 
I'm telling you, we are surrounded constantly by these divine opportunities in which we get to show the world how great God is. And some of us have a hard time sharing our faith. And, and listen, that's okay. Love people, befriend people. And when the divine moment hits, God will lead you how to do it. And for some of you, the easiest thing in the world is just invite somebody to church. Do you know that 76% of people who come to church, that didn't grow up going to church, but just who eventually came to church, 76% of people, do you know how they came? It wasn't that Turner Burn bumper sticker. Okay, it wasn't your WWJD bracelet. It wasn't your, it wasn't your T-shirt that looks like Reese's but says Jesus. And that probably turned five people away. 76% of people who come to church come because someone invited them. What a radical notion. What if we just love people, befriend people, help people, bless people, generous with people, kind towards people. When the divine moment hits, we share the goodness of God. Maybe we invite him to church. You know, this is a big deal because when Jesus was talking to these fishermen, do you know that he was talking to Eastern fishermen, not even Western fishermen? See, Western fishermen is we have a rod and reel and we just, we're out there and a lot of times we're alone or we're in a boat with just one or two other guys. Do you know that Eastern fishing was always in teams? Always in teams. They had these teams of boats and teams of people on each boat throwing these huge nets and then dragging them in in teams. Can I help you real quick here? This is a team effort. Why do you think we do all that we do every Sunday morning? So that as a, everything's already ready when you show up. Have you ever noticed that? Like a lot of you are here serving early, but like by the time you get here at 10 o'clock, like everything's ready. Everything's prepared. We're expecting you to have some guests. We're expecting you to, because how many know when you know a guest is coming, you kind of prepare, don't you? And, and, and the, the bigger deal the guest is, the more preparation you put in. That's why you, you bring out that fine china when the queen is coming over. And then when you're old school buddy, you just got the paper plates. Okay? We try to throw out everything that we can every single week to the best of our ability. Say, hey, look, we have prepared a place for us all to connect to our heavenly father. I want you to be encouraged. As a church, we have a new name. And it's new beginnings. And it is not just enough that we have, because we believe Jesus is all about new beginnings. We believe that is what people really need in life. But we also believe that we are the ones to bring the two together. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray so much, God, that you would, God, help us as a people and as a church, God, to know you, to follow you, to experience how great you are. But God, but when that happens, God, let it not become private. Let it not become something that's so personal that we keep to ourselves, but God, let us love others as you have loved us. God, let us carry the joy that you've given. Let it, let it, let it be in our face. Let it be in our attitude. Let it be in our patience with people, God. Let it be with our generosity towards those in need. God, help us to carry your love and grace and goodness into the world around us, God. I believe there's some incredible life-changing news, and it's that, Jesus, you have died and risen again so that we might be saved. God, let us be carriers of that great news, whether it's in our family, through the holidays, our workplace, crazy neighbors, whatever it is, God. Help us to be carriers. God, we believe that you have given us not just a new name, but you have given us a new purpose in you, God. Some of us are workers, business owners, salespeople. We work in a cubicle behind a desk all day and we think that's what we do. God, help us be corrected today. God, that's not what we do. 
That's just the job we have. Who we are are fishers of men. That's what we do. We just happen to do it in a cubicle or do it on the sales or do it in a factory or do it wherever it is that you have placed us, God. That's what we do. But God, who we are, we are fishers of men, God. Help us to always remember that, Lord. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning, would you?